0: Take your Bibles with me and turn to 2 Peter 1. 2 Peter 1, we're going to look at verses 3-11 through in our study of God's Word this morning. You can follow along as I read these words, and as I read these words, keep in mind that these words carry the same weight as if Jesus Christ Himself were here speaking them to us this morning. 2 Peter 1, beginning at verse 3 as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins." Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me before we look into God's Word this morning? Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that it would be that for us this morning. Holy Spirit, come work in our hearts. May we not just read the passage or know the passage. May we get the passage and understand its application to our life. We pray this in your name. Amen. Since the beginning of the year, I have been studying the book of Ecclesiastes and working through Ecclesiastes with the teenagers each Sunday morning, pretty much from the end of February right up until the end of May, a few weeks ago. And between studying Ecclesiastes and this past week attending two funerals, I have been thinking about death a good bit. Why? You're 33. Yes, I'm 33, but... And as I was reading Second Peter again in preparation for this morning, I was struck at how the imminence of Peter's death adds a sense of urgency to this letter. Look with me if you would, down at verses thirteen through fifteen of Second Peter one, just a few verses down. Peter says, yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So as Peter's writing this letter, he has in the back of his mind, this could be the last thing that I ever say to these believers. Think about how your life would change if you knew that you were going to die soon. What would you want to make sure others knew? What would you want to share with them? What would be bits of wisdom you would want them to know and live by in the event that you passed on? Those are... Somber questions, but serious questions, and they're applicable here because, again, as Peter is facing the imminent uh, his imminent death, what do I want to say to these believers one last time? What do I want to remind them of? Peter's exhortation to these believers springs from the reality that soon he is going to be taken from this world. And he wants to remind these believers of how they ought to live their lives now. Because he knows that death could come for him or it could come for them at any time. As we saw this morning in Ecclesiastes, the same event happens to the righteous and to the foolish. To the wicked. Well, by way of... Catching up to where we are in Second Peter, remember that Peter wrote 2 Peter to set the record straight on the true gospel and confront false teaching that on its face looked just like true teaching, but it wasn't the genuine thing. We saw that last time, we saw last time that God has given us precious faith. That is, this faith of equal value to any other Christian. There are not grades or classes of Christians. We also saw that God has given us precious promises that that is these powerful divine promises that God has made to his children. We have been given divine power and we have been given the ability to be partakers in the divine nature and these realities serve as the background for us to consider verses 3 through 11 this morning. So, as we consider these verses, the central idea of verses 3 through 11 is this Christians given the power of God will be able to abound in godly living rooted in the knowledge of Christ. These verses communicate to us Christians given the power of God will be able to abound in godly living rooted in the knowledge of Christ. The title of the sermon this morning is Godly Grit to Grow. Godly Grit to Grow. Would you consider with me first the power to grow in verses 3 through 4? The power to grow. We see this in verses 3 and 4. Remember that in Christ we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. Everything. That is not an over exaggeration. If anything, that is an understatement. By divine power, we have been given incredibly wonderful promises. Through those promises, we see in the text in verse 4. Through these, we are able to be partakers of the divine nature. Now, last time we were together, we looked at verses 1 through 4, and there's something in in verses 3 and 4 that I need to clarify. I failed last month to accurately explain something and a couple of you asked me about it and as I was looking through the text this month I thought to myself I need to I need to set the record straight on this. So last month I almost made it sound that there was a chance Peter is saying we could become perfect in this life that because we've become divine or partakers in the divine nature cool. So you mean I could be divine by the time I die? That is not what Peter is trying to say. And I apologize for for my ambiguity in not making that point explicitly clear. That is not what Peter is communicating. Even though we are partakers of the divine nature, Peter does not envision that leading to a sinless life on this earth. We know this because Peter later tells us that at the return of Christ, everything will be set in order and that will be the time when there will be no sin. So, that begs the question, what does it mean then for us to be partakers of the divine nature? We'll take a minute and consider this through the lens of scripture. Okay, let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. When God first created man, whose nature did man possess? Who was he most like? God, right? He had a perfect relationship with God. He was able to meet with God every day. Well, then what happened? Man sinned. His nature was ruined. It was tarnished by an ingrained sin nature that persists through Adam to us. And Paul traces that out beautifully in Romans 5. So now, you and I have a sin nature that persists even though we have been saved. But think about what has been started in salvation. When Christ came and redeemed us by His precious blood, what process was was enabled? He, God, through the divine power of Jesus Christ, is gradually restoring That original nature that we had. God is on a mission to restore that which sin tarnished. He is gradually restoring us to who He originally created us to be. That's how we are partakers of the divine nature. Well, the world knows nothing of this. They are continuing to be corrupted by sin and lust. Think about Romans 1 with me that that cycle of decline that takes place, that leads to men calling good evil and evil good. That's what we've escaped. We have escaped that sinful downward spiral. We've escaped the continuing corruption and are more and more becoming like Christ. That is how we are partakers of the divine nature. This is a process that will not be completed until Jesus returns and frees us from this perishable body and gives us our imperishable body. 1 Corinthians 15, we are longing for that day where He He will come and He will do that. So verses 3 and 4 are critical to grasp these truths that His divine power has given us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. And through that divine power, we have these exceedingly great and precious promises. It's critical that we grasp those realities because if we don't, We will view verses 5 through 11 outside of the gospel. Rather than pursuing godly growth through grace, we will pursue growth through our own legalistic effort. We will do better. We will try harder. We will live life by a checklist that we can't keep on our own. Paul picks up this theme in Philippians 2 when he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. So as we consider the power to grow, Christian, how often do you find yourself wandering away from the grace of God into a way of living that is void of divine power? How often do we seek to cease a sinful habit without divine power? Or to cultivate a godly habit without divine power? This is past Wednesday, we were talking about James 1.19 where James tells us to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. How exactly am I supposed to do that? Well, I can create a checklist, right? I can even like, make a post-it note and slap it on my bathroom mirror. And when I come in first thing in the morning, note to self, be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Oh boy, that's not going to turn out too well. Or, I can come to 2 Peter 1 and I can say, whoa, God has given me the divine power that I need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. God, help! Help! That's what Peter is reminding the believers of. We are so tempted to go to the checklist. Well, I need to do this and I need to do that. And create a process. And we can stamp out this sinful habit or we can cultivate this godly habit. Peter's not concerned about the list. He's concerned about the power that we have that God has given us that gives us everything we need pertaining to life and godliness. Brother and sister, turn to Christ. Remind yourself frequently that you need the grace that God gives through His divine power to grow in godliness and holiness. You need that. Remind yourself daily. Daily, daily. Hourly. Minutely. Secondly. Remind yourself that you need that grace. That's the power to grow. In verses 5 through 7, though, we see the path to grow. The path to grow. Peter says, But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue to virtue, knowledge to knowledge, self control to self control, perseverance to perseverance, godliness to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. Eight things, eight values, virtues that should be present in our life. Add them. Alright, cool. I'm just going to put them in my Amazon shopping basket. I'll get free Prime delivery. They'll be here by by Tuesday, right? I wish that was how that worked. No, actually, I don't wish that was how it would work. Because the package might get lost or any number of issues. But notice that Peter starts verse 5 also for this very reason. For this very reason? What very reason? For this very reason. This first phrase directs us back to the divine power that equips us with everything we need for life and godliness. Here again, Peter is reminding us and reminding us because what we just read that a verse ago, but we already forgot it. For this very reason, because God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Martin Lloyd Jones, on this passage, commenting on this passage, said this Before there can be activity, there must be life, there must be muscles, there must be the faculties and the propensities. And that is the position of the Christian. He has been given all of this. He has these muscles, these spiritual muscles. All things pertaining to life and godliness are given. He goes on to say, we are given the farm. We are given the implements and all that is necessary. We are given the seed. What we are called upon to do is to farm. Brothers and sisters, that is what Peter is exhorting us to this morning. God has given us everything we need. He's given us the property. He's given us the implements. He's given us the seed. Go farm. And Peter here tells us, giving all diligence, we are to add these things. Well, that phrase, giving all diligence, communicates something. It communicates intentionality. It communicates passion. It communicates diligence. We don't... Accidentally grow in Christ's likeness. Godliness is not a weed that just perchance springs up in the garden of your life. It is something we must exert effort and energy for. This is what Paul had in mind in our scripture reading this morning. In 2 Timothy 2:15, Timothy is commanded to be diligent. And then Paul talks about two examples of false teachers, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who fell away and they are like a cancer to the church. These false teachers were not diligent, they did not give all diligence to add these things. They ended up falling away from the truth and bringing damnation on themselves. And Peter is following in the same vein. In light of the false teaching that is coming, and we're going to see that in chapter 2 in a few months, it is critical that these believers and that you and I exercise godly grit to grow in godliness. That's what Peter is advocating for here. And remember, in case we forgot, remember, we don't do this in our own strength. We have been given divine power that gives us everything we need for godliness in Christ. So, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add. That's a very simple word, right? And and as soon as I read that, my mathematic brain says, ah, plus sign. But it's not that simple. This is not just like a okay, so this is like a recipe so we're going to take a little bit of this and we're going to add a little bit of this to it and add a little bit of this and a little bit of this and we're going to mix it all up and put it in the pan and voila, godliness. No. This is a much deeper word. We we could translate this word literally to provide at one's own expense provide at one's own expense. This means that growing in godliness requires an investment. It requires time, effort, and resources. This word, in, its, in the original language, was used in secular uh, realms to talk about a, a sponsor that would, that would put on a, a choral production in, in, a, in a meeting area in the town. They would add everything that was needed for this choral group to perform. So they would, at their own expense... Furnish and set up and provide. And these were not meager, bare-bones things. No, these were lavish things. This has the idea of supplementing something lavishly without sparing expense. In our day, we might say, give your faith the VIP treatment. Together, this list of virtues illustrates the truly good life found in Christ Jesus. What's life look like in Christ Jesus? What does is, what is a truly good life look like? It looks like this, verses 5 through 7. So consider these eight virtues. The first one on the list is faith, that's the, the first, the, the base virtue. And here it is not necessarily referring to a body of teaching as much as it is belief in Christ that leads to salvation. That we are to have faith in Christ and that that leads to salvation. So there is salvation, add to that virtue. Peter has in mind here God's moral excellencies. And in this situation, God's moral excellencies ought to be reflected in His people. If we are God's people, if we have been given a faith of equal standing in Christ, then the moral excellencies that God exhibits should be reflected in us. So add to your faith virtue. To virtue knowledge knowledge this is this is not just academic learning this is not head knowledge peter here is speaking of a deep personal relational knowledge this is an intimate knowing of someone this is relational add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge to knowledge self control Self-control being restraint of one's emotions, impulses, and desires. Specifically, submission of those things to the Holy Spirit's control. That's, that's repeated in Galatians 5, right? In the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. To self-control... Perseverance. Perseverance is steadfastness. It's standing steady in the face of difficulty. It is endurance. That is to be added to self-control. Well, to perseverance, we are to add godliness. Godliness is, is a Godward orientation of life. So, what is your life oriented around? Godliness is having a Godward orientation of life. It it, it works itself out in our thoughts, in our feelings, in our attitudes, in our actions. Godliness is the first commandment in action. Shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. What's that look like? Godliness is what that looks like. To godliness, brotherly kindness. This is a familial love. This is something Peter commands several times in 1 Peter in, in his original letter. But that takes effort, doesn't it? It takes work. There are people, in, in, even in your family, that you have to be diligent to love. And here, Peter is writing and saying, This needs to be something that you add. That you, at your own expense, build this out. That you sacrifice to evidence this in your life. And to brotherly kindness, love. Turn back a few pages with me to 1 Peter 4 8. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. Listen to what Peter says in his first letter. 1 Peter 4, verse 8. He says, "...Above all things, have fickle love for one another." Right? "...Have fervent love." Fervent love? Why? "...For love will cover a multitude of sins." Here, He is reminding those believers, hey, this is an important thing. This is an essential thing that must be a part of your life. Sacrificial love for others. This type of sacrificial love seeks their interest over yours. This trait is what makes Christians stick out in the world. In John 13.35, Jesus says, By this shall all men know that you are My disciples if you have love one for another. So brothers and sisters in Christ, how eager are you to put effort into these areas of godliness? What are you investing your time and effort and resources into? Peter is reminding us, hey, if you've received a faith of equal standing with all of the other believers in Christ, this needs to be at the top of your investment portfolio. Are you growing in these areas? Teens are you growing in these areas? If you claim to know Christ as your Savior, you're not too young to be growing in these areas. Kids, if you claim to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not too young to be growing in these areas. What would it look like for you to grow in self-control, teenager? stay-at-home mom, what would it look like for you to grow in perseverance? What would it look like for you at your job to grow in godliness? What would it look like for you here at church to grow in brotherly kindness and love? These are things that Peter is reminding us of that are critical and essential for those who have obtained a faith of equal standing to be growing in. Why should we grow in them? Because we have the power to grow in them. Jesus Christ has given us His divine power for everything that pertains to life and godliness. Brother and sister in Christ, this is not a burdensome list of I have to try to do this. God has given you the power. So farm. Maybe you're retired. You don't have to get up early to go to work. You're just enjoying life. You've graduated. Congratulations. What does it look like for you To be growing in these virtues. This is something that all Christians are called to be growing in. So verses 5 through 7 show us the path to grow. Verses 8 through 11 show us the priority to grow. The power to grow, the path to grow. Third, the priority to grow. Growing is not something that should be down at the bottom of your list. This is not something that you stash away on, the, on your list. And, and there are other things that come before it that are more important. No, 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 no. Peter doesn't want us to be confused on this. And so, verses 8-11 through 11 motivate us. After Peter illustrates the power to grow and the path that leads to growth, he shows us the priority this growth ought to occupy in our life. Three times in these verses, he looks back to verses 5 through 7 with these things. Verse 8, these things are yours and abound. Verse 9, he who lacks these things. Verse 10, if you do these things, you will never stumble. So Peter here is focusing on the fact that as he's writing to these believers, it would be natural for them, it would be natural for us to say, yeah, I need to do that later. How often do we do that? All the time, right? You get a phone call, you get a text, somebody says, hey, I need you to do this. Okay, and I'm going to keep doing what's important. And here Peter says, no, 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 no. That can't go further down on the list. This needs to go at the top of the list. Why? There's two lines of reasoning in these verses. Verses 8 and 9 tell this, they say this to us. The things in verses 5 through 7 ought to be abounding in you if you're a true follower of God. They ought to be abounding in you. If you're here this morning and and you claim to know Jesus Christ as your Savior, these things ought to be abounding in your life. That's what he says in verse 8. If these things are yours, if they exist and they abound, they're increasing, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Recall back to John 15 when Jesus says that he is the vine. He's the vine dresser. What does He do to branches that are not producing fruit? He he trims them. He prunes them back. So another implication then is if these are not abounding and if they are not yours, Peter's conclusion is he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that He was cleansed from His old sins. So if you look at your life, and you say, whoa. I don't really see a lot of these. Uh, period. You need to be warned by verse 9. Verse 9 is a, is a somber warning to you. This is not Normal. For he who lacks these things is short sighted. He has forgotten. That that was Israel's problem. Israel's problem was they forgot God. Peter here is reminding us don't forget him, tap into the power that he has given you and grow in Christ likeness. Second line of reasoning is in verses 10 and 11. And here Peter tells us that prioritizing growth in these virtues that we saw in verses 5 through 7, prioritizing growth in them prevents you from stumbling. It ensures your calling to eternal life in God's everlasting kingdom. Notice he says in verse 10, "Therefore, brethren," there's a conclusion here. Be even more diligent. What did he say in verse 5? He said we were supposed to give all diligence, right? So, here in verse 10, what does he say? Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. So, if you max out on pursuing Christ's likeness, reach the next level. Get into overdrive for this thing. Be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. Is Peter just dropping theological terms willy-nilly in this letter? No, he's he's already referenced these two things. Look back with me, if you would, to 2 Peter 1.1. 2 Peter 1.1. He introduces himself, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. You have been given something. God has chosen you for that. There's the connection with election. Drop down to verse 3. His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us. There's the connection to call. So, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Really? For some of us, that might be an incredible gift. Not physically stumble. Spiritually stumble. Because in chapter 2, we're going to learn that these false teachers man they have done some royal face planting spiritually in 1 Timothy Paul talks about how Hymenaeus and Alexander have made shipwreck of their faith that is stumbling on a grand scheme if you do these things you will never stumble for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Notice in these four verses the abounding and generous nature of these things that ought to be present in your life. These are not trace amounts of godliness that Peter is calling for. He is calling for Christians to work at being dominated by these qualities. These things ought to be abounding, overflowing, abundant. Christian, there is a sober warning here for us. If you look at your life and don't see a persistent diligence to grow in godliness and holiness, can you call yourself a Christian? That's not me, that's the text. Peter is asking that question. Peter tells us that if this is true, we need to take a long look in the mirror. We need to cry out to God to help us remember and to grow through His power in these areas. But there's also a powerful hope for Christians in these verses. If we are faithful in following Christ, the promises He has given us will translate into reality. They will translate into reality for us as we are ushered into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This gives us assurance. This helps us endure endure life on this earth. When you go through trials that threaten to capsize your spiritual boat, what holds you sure? It is the power God has given you for life and godliness and the fact that you are continuing in those things. So, brother and sister in Christ, who are you in this passage? As I was studying through this passage, there were five groups of people that I saw in this passage. Four, or sorry, five categories. First, are you a Christian? Friend, maybe you're here this morning and you have never trusted in Christ for salvation. You, you have not received that faith of equal standing. You haven't received the divine power that gives you everything you need for life and godliness. Friend, you need to turn to Christ, repent of your sin, and trust in Him for salvation. Trust in Him for salvation. And if you have questions about that, I'll be in the lobby afterwards. I would love to talk with you about understanding the Gospel and trusting in Christ for salvation. Are you a casual Christian, brother and sister in Christ? By that, I mean no effort and no or little growth. There's no effort being put forth. There's very little, if any, growth taking place. You look at these verses and your heart starts thumping and your palms start sweating and you think to yourself, oh no. If that's you, yes. There should be a yikes You need to take heed to these verses. You need to remember what Jesus Christ has done for you. Honestly, you need to marinate in the Gospel and what Christ has done for you. You need to be humbled by, by how sinful you are and how good Christ Jesus has been to you. Maybe you're a legalistic Christian. There's lots of effort. You are pushing and pushing and pushing. The veins in your spiritual head are popping. You are, you are trying to achieve these things, but you have no power. Brother and sister in Christ, if that's you, stop trying in your own strength. Trust in the power that God has given you through Christ. Maybe you're a struggling Christian. There's some effort, but there's no consistency. You want to pursue those things. You see, yes, this is a priority and and you want to grow in those things, but there's no consistency. You are a struggling Christian. Brother and sister in Christ, pray and ask for God's grace to compel you to abound in godly growth. Finally, though, there is the possibility that you could be a faithful Christian. Faithful Christian is one who's displaying, displaying consistent effort, but maybe slow growth. The effort's there. You know the divine power that God has given you gives you everything you need for life and godliness, and you are walking in that power. But the growth. And you look at this passage, and you might start feeling nervous. And, oh man, I mean like... I don't know. My brotherly kindness is really lacking. Oh, what am I? Oh, no. Brother and sister in Christ, if if you are a faithful Christian, be encouraged, be steadfast. This is not a sprint, this is a long race. So keep being consistent. Keep putting forth the effort. Keep investing in faith and virtue and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. God has given us the power to grow. He's shown us the path that leads to godliness. Now let's make walking that path priority. So may God give us godly grit and grace so that we may grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Our God, we come to this text and we feel our inadequacy to do the things that you have called us to do. We need Your help. Thank You that there is provision in Christ Jesus that You have given us power that leads to everything we need for life and godliness, including growing in these areas. Give us grit. Give us holy effort and determination that we may grow in these areas in You. May we trust in You to give us the energy for these things. May You give us the determination that we may, by Your grace, enter into the eternal kingdom that You have provided for us through our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is in His name we pray. Amen.